You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In April of 2006, in Medicine Hat, Alberta, part of a family would be found murdered in their home. Mark Richardson, 42, Deborah Richardson, 48, and Tyler Jacob Richardson, 8, were dead and their older daughter was missing. There was fear that the daughter had perhaps been kidnapped or taken to another location. The truth, though, was far worse than even that. Welcome to Gone But Never Forgotten, The Richardson Family Murders. And welcome back to GBNF. This is the first episode in our attempt to try and get this thing going weekly instead of bi-weekly. That is going to obviously double the work, research, and everything that goes into the podcast, but we really want to give it a try. This is something that we've been thinking about for a long time, and it's finally time to give it a go for sure. We love the feedback that we're getting, and we love interacting with you guys on social media. So we want to do everything that we can on our end to get more listeners and more great things going for all of you goners out there. So for this week's episode, we're headed back out to Alberta, Canada, Medicine Hat to be specific. It was Sunday, April 23rd, 2006, and police were called out to a house in Medicine Hat, Alberta. One of the neighbors had reported that they thought that they could see a body inside of the house next door. Police came to the address in question, and they were shocked at what they would find there. Three members of a family were found dead inside. The father, Mark Richardson, and the mother, Deborah Richardson, were found in the basement of their family home, and their young son, Tyler Richardson, was found dead upstairs in the home. Police immediately started to search for the fourth member of the family, 12-year-old Jasmine Richardson, who was not found to be at the home or anywhere nearby. Police feared for the fourth member of the family and wondered if she had been kidnapped or killed and taken somewhere else. The Calgary Herald the next day read, Police are asking for the public's help in finding Jasmine Richardson on an urgent family matter. Unquote. The same report stated that the police did not believe that this was a case of murder-suicide and that there was also a suspect at large that they needed to worry about. One has to figure that the prevailing questions were either why was this girl spared or why was this girl taken? Police were likely trying to quickly figure out who may have been behind something like this 
as often when you see a family targeted, it does turn out to be someone that has some sort of connection to the family. Friends would describe Jasmine as very social and generally happy girl. She was on the honor roll at her school and she was seemingly a beautiful girl with the entire world as her oyster. She was also a member of the swim team at her school. Jasmine, however, started to get interested and involved in the goth subculture and her family and people had started to notice that there was some small, subtle changes from the girl that everyone knew. The Calgary Herald started their story on November 10, 2007, like this, quote, The grade 7 school portrait shows a girl, teen magazine pretty with perfect teeth and shining hair, tilting her head and smiling sweetly for the camera. A closer look reveals something unexpected a black leather collar with spikes encircling the 11-year-old's neck. Moments before, the photographer snapped the shot on junior high picture day at Medicine Hat School in September 2005, the girl giggles and swaps accessories with her best friend. She fastens the forbidden collar around her neck and sat to oppose a cheeky school dress code rebellion. One of the obvious things that was an immediate part of the search was a search of Jasmine's locker at school. What police would find would leave them shocked. They found a note in the locker that was written by Jasmine. Quote, May the fury and flame of all hell come and greet you at death's doorstep. May the hatred and anger built of blazing infernos fill you and overcome you. May the pains of a thousand tortured souls come upon you like scalding blade and eclipse all other noble feeling. May your hopes, dreams, and happiness fall into the swirling pit of despair never to return. May your peace of mind and safety be gone to you to be forever afraid and ailed. May the black overcome you and the pain be never-ending. May all your love be stolen and destroyed just out of reach, to never again feel such joys. Amen. XX. Unquote. Alongside this writing, they also found a stick figure cartoon that showed a family of three being burned alive while two other stick figures watched and laughed. Another picture showed one of the stick figures running happily towards a truck labeled as Jeremy's Truck. Police started to realize that they were perhaps not looking at a victim, but instead Jasmine may in fact be a suspect in the murders of her parents and younger brother. As police started to speak to friends and to staff at the school, things started to unravel quickly. It was easy to see that Jasmine had in fact been changing a lot in recent times. For starters, Jasmine had started to change the way that she looked, the way that she acted, and the way that she talked. Friends would say that they started to see changes in her in grade six. Jasmine started to wear black mini skirts, fishnets, tall boots, black tops, and even dark lipstick and dark makeup. As police started to dive quickly into Jasmine, who she was and what she had been up to, they also found online accounts that she had where she was taking photos in full goth clothing and using the usernames of Runaway Devil and Killer Kitty. In one of the photos that were found on her account, she was holding and posing with a fake gun. Some people even said that they had overheard her talking frequently about how she was getting annoyed with and hated her parents. 
She had even told people that she wanted someone to kill them so that she could move on and live without them. Going through those online accounts, along with word from the guidance counselor at school, led the police to what would be their first break in the case. They knew what and who Jeremy's truck in the photo was referring to. Jasmine was in a relationship with a 23-year-old man named Jeremy Steinke. The 11-year age difference between Jasmine and Jeremy was very clearly one of the major points of contention between her and her parents. And honestly, what parents wouldn't have an issue with their daughter dating someone that was nearly twice her age? Yeah, I mean, I've long been a proponent of age is just a number when it comes to adult relationships. But when the young lady in question is 12, there is a lot of red flags going on here. So you can understand why her parents would not be okay with this arrangement. And you can also understand what was obviously starting to twist in the mind of Jasmine and push her towards rebellion, goth culture, and breaking some rules for attention. She felt as though nobody was listening or hearing what she wanted or what she was saying. I want to be clear here. I am not empathizing with anyone in this case, just perhaps alluding to something that we talk about later in terms of ages of criminals. When people are this young, they are also very impressionable. Jasmine and Jeremy had met through a mutual friend when they were at the mall. She found herself immediately drawn to the gothic, dark way that Jeremy dressed, and she recognized that he was popular, so that drew her to him even more. The two started talking and connected while complaining about past relationships that they had had. Jeremy would always impress her with poetry and singing her songs that he said he had written for her. I'm going to interject for a second here. I, when I was writing this, I was like, what kind of jaded lover stories did you have when you were 12 years old? I know, right? That's like me too with past relationships. Like you're 12. Yeah, like, I mean, I remember I dated girls in grade five. But, like, I'd break up with one girl and be dating the next girl later that day. Like, it didn't mean anything. No. Like, what jaded lover stories are there here? Exactly. Friends said that Jasmine was essentially living with Jeremy on weekends, and she was lying to people about his age. She was telling people, friends, and teachers at the school that Jeremy was around 17 years of age. Jasmine and Jeremy talked mostly over MSN and Nexopia, a Canadian social media platform that was actually designed for younger users. One of the messages that she had sent to Jeremy was on March 20th, 2006. It read, quote, Rar, I hate them, so I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you, unquote. So as you can imagine, the hunt was now on. Police proceeded with the knowledge that they may in fact be looking for Jeremy and Jasmine as the prime suspects in the triple homicide. Jeremy Steinke's upbringing was not as wholesome as Richardson's seemed to be. His mother was an alcoholic and her boyfriend abused Jeremy. Jeremy was bullied at school and outside of school, and by the time he met Jasmine, he had already attempted suicide in the past. From all accounts, his childhood was a disaster and likely a major contributor in his own spiral into the man that he had become before meeting Jasmine. As a part of his own disassociation with his rough life, Jeremy had even developed his own persona by the time he was 13. 
He wore a vial of blood around his neck and claimed that he was a 300-year-old werewolf. As you can imagine, he was not probably the model boyfriend for sure that Jasmine's family envisioned for their 12-year-old daughter. They banned her from seeing him, but that didn't stop them. The two found any way and any reason that they could be together. They claimed that they were both in love. Jeremy even had a blog post on April 3rd, 2006, just weeks before the murders, that read, quote, Payment. My lover's rents are totally unfair. They say that they really care. They don't know what is going on. They just assume. Their throats I want to slit. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment, unquote. Wow, incredibly strong words there. Right? I mean, I definitely went through my own dark, depressed, and rebellious phase. I did and said a lot of stupid things. But one thing that I didn't do was talk about killing people, especially not on an open forum like this. I'm going to make my own plea of sorts here to anyone listening. If you're even remotely close to someone that's talking, posting, writing, anything like that, threatening death or harm to others or themselves, get them some help. Absolutely. I think that we can all agree that it is better to stop something horrible from happening and have someone mad at you than to have something like this happen. We live in a world of increased mental health and well-being, and we all need to be better and not turn blind eyes when someone that we know is in trouble. Unfortunately, in this case, it seems that the only people listening had their own problems as well. And in this case, Jasmine's words that she wanted her parents dead, whether she meant them or not, resonated inside of Jeremy. It was reported to police after the fact that Jasmine had talked a lot about killing her parents, but everyone thought that this was just the meanderings of a 12-year-old girl who was just upset about things that were going on at home. Nobody believed that the young girl would be a part of what happened here. As police started to branch out under the new belief that Jasmine was quite the opposite of a victim, a friend of Jeremy and Jasmine's came to police and told them that the two of them had been at a party the night before, which was after the murder, and they'd been talking and bragging about killing her family. People didn't believe them, but apparently Jeremy was even telling people that they gutted her family like fish. Oh my gosh, that's nauseating. Yeah, one thing that always seems to get to me is obviously there's something incredibly wrong with your wiring if you kill someone. But these people that are able to carry on with their lives as though it didn't happen and it's not weighing on them one bit, it's a whole new level of asshattery in my books. How do you just go to a party having known what these two knew and brag about it? It actually didn't take long at all for police to locate the pair. They were found only 70 kilometers away in Leader, Saskatchewan in a truck that was driven by another friend of theirs. They were found with three other women in all. While in custody, police tried to get to the bottom of everything that happened. Initially, Jasmine tried to put everything on Jeremy. It seemed as though right off the hop she either knew that she could weasel out by playing victim or perhaps she was not that involved. Her story would eventually change and she even admitted that she choked her brother. 
Listener discretion is advised as we will now discuss the facts that were presented about the murder so that you know exactly what was committed. Deborah was stabbed 12 times and collapsed on the basement floor of the house at the base of the staircase where she bled to death. Mark put up an incredible fight against the attack but was stabbed 24 times. His body was found near his wife's body. Young Tyler was found lying on his bed with his throat slashed open. His larynx and jugular vein had been severed. He also had three other stab wounds on his chest. Obviously murder is never not gruesome and hard, but it hits me and I would assume most people much harder when you're talking about the murder of a young child. Yes, it's so clear when you think about an entire life being taken away from someone like that. Senselessly, also obviously. Clearly, Tyler was not part of whatever problems were going on at home. It seems like he was pretty much collateral damage. Jasmine would even say that she was trying to choke her brother to make him pass out so that he would not hear the murders of his parents. She did also admit that she had stabbed her brother once after being goaded into it by her brother. Just awful, awful circumstances. Police would use one of the oldest tricks in the book to try and find out more. They told the couple that they would be allowed to exchange letters while in jail. Jasmine wrote four letters to Jeremy in which she told him how much she loved him and he even proposed marriage to her through a letter and she accepted. Jasmine's letters were encouraging Jeremy to stay strong, saying that it was too bad that they had not run away farther and faster, but that they could not dwell on the things that they had not done. I will never understand this tactic and how people fall for it, honestly. You're writing letters in jail to your co-accused in a murder case. Why on earth would you think that those letters were not being read and analyzed? To me, this shows just how narcissistic these two were. She even wrote, quote, My lawyer tells me we're legends. Ha! Close to immortality, it would seem. We've been in the papers every day, apparently. I haven't seen them, but hopefully can Monday, unquote. Yeah, it's really sad because this girl honestly seems to have had some issues. I have to say that I hope and pray and think that she was definitely a victim on some level here also. I think she was groomed very much by Jeremy and he knew what he was doing. Not to say that she didn't have issues, but it's clear that she rebelled to the nth degree here and she likely didn't know how else to be other than to follow Jeremy's lead. She definitely comes across as a cold-hearted killer, though, in things that she wrote and said and obviously did. Oh, for sure. I find that in situations like this, though, it's very hard to have any sympathy for whatever happened between these two. Even though she was 12, she seems to have a pretty good understanding of a lot of things. I can definitely understand that. It would appear that Jeremy, at the very least, and likely both, were heavily influenced by the film Natural Born Killers, which was a story of two people who had been victims of very tough upbringings who would come together and become lovers and psychopathic serial murderers. It was reported that Jeremy watched this movie the night before the murders, and he would also tell an officer that he believed that the movie was the greatest love story of all time. Regardless of what led them to the point that they found themselves at on that night, 
Both of them were involved in the brutal, remorseless, and thoughtless murders of three people. They both would find their time in court, and they both would be found guilty. On July 9, 2007, Jasmine was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. On November 8, 2007, she would be sentenced to the maximum allowable sentence in Canada for someone of her age, 10 years of imprisonment. Her sentence would include 18 months of time served in custody. That would be followed by four years at a psychiatric institution and four and a half years of conditional supervision in the community. On December 15, 2008, Jeremy would be sentenced to three life sentences for three counts of first-degree murder. The sentences are served concurrently in Canada, and as such, he will be eligible for parole after 25 years. So, as you can see, the law definitely allows in Canada for rehabilitation, especially in cases such as this one where the offender is so young. Yeah, and it's believed that Jasmine was and is the youngest person in Canada to ever be convicted of multiple murders. Let's honestly hope that this is something that's never beaten. It's insane. As someone who's worked with kids in so many capacities for much of his life, it's hard to believe any 12-year-old being able to mastermind, orchestrate, or even just be a part of any of this. 12 is such a young age. She was such a child. Yeah, as a parent to someone that is nearing that age, it is definitely very hard to reconcile. I cannot imagine someone that is still a preteen being able to do these things on that horrible night. Yeah, the whole thing is heartbreaking on many different levels to me. So, obviously Jeremy is now living within the confines of prison in Canada, but Jasmine, on the other hand, much to the shock of some people, is living on the outside now in general population and actually has been for some time. She was released from parole in 2016 at the age of 23, and the crimes that she committed would have been removed, actually, from her criminal record by this point. She would be 28 years of age now, and she's living in a secret location and under a different name. See, this is all very interesting to me because I feel like even though she was 12, like, she's, of course, she still knew, like, murder is bad, don't kill someone, like, and you know those things are bad by the time you're 12. I also feel like you're very... Um, easily influenced by people and then of course like you gravitate towards people that are making you feel special and all that stuff so I don't know if I agree with you know second chances or whatever but I feel like she was young enough and maybe um, not innocent but just ignorant maybe that maybe now she knows and understands as an adult so I don't really know where I stand on this but I'm not really for or against it but um I just, I mean, I hope she's doing better, obviously. There's a crazy little rabbit hole here, and it's like, I'll mention it quickly if I can. But, like, one of the weird things about this is because she was given, like, another name, and she was, you know, basically given this second chance at life, like, I actually don't think we would ever know if, you know, Jane Doe from Sudbury, Ontario killed someone again we wouldn't know that it was jasmine again i believe the way it would come out in the media is like known to police like so there's a lot of stuff about and i think i talk about it more here in a sec 
But there's a lot of talk about how she was a model um, citizen and she rehabbed so well. It's like, but the funny thing is, I guess, to cover butts, like, at the end of the day, if she didn't rehab well and she reoffended because she's essentially, for all intents and purposes, she's someone different now. You would mm. never be told like, oh, well, she didn't rehab that well, I guess. Yeah. Well, and of course, the whole point of prison is to learn your lesson and, you know, learn from that and, and be different. The point of prison is rehabilitation, if it's possible. Yeah, for sure. Especially in this country. You know, we don't have the death penalty. We don't have those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and especially being that young. Yeah. You know, like exactly. that's probably the most hopeful of, of prison sentences is hoping that you can rehabilitate this person and make them into a person that is actually aiding society and a working part of society. Right. And that's exactly why there is that. Um, I think it's under 14. The most you can be charged with is 10 years, you know, so... I mean, there is that hope that, like, if something got into your life that caused you to make a bad decision like this, they're hoping that because you're so young that, like, they can help you overcome whatever that was. Right. But at the same time, I also wonder if a 12-year-old killed my family, hmm. would I would I be happy for them that they rehabilitated? Yeah. You nope, know, so it's true. definitely a weird situation. Yeah, and like for me, from my perspective, and I might get a little bit of hate mail for saying so, I'm one of the people in the camp of giving someone in this situation a second chance, 100%. Um, that may actually shock anyone that listens to our show and knows me, because um, I've often said, like, I do support the death penalty in cases like Paul Bernardo, where you have clear guilt, clear intent, a pattern, there's not any room for error in the case, really, um, but 12 years old is so incredibly young. I honestly don't know what the right answer is, and like you said, I don't know what the right answer would be if I was in the situation. But from all reports, Jasmine did work hard to improve herself, get herself right, and she responded well to rehab, even being trumpeted, like I said, as a model inmate for all of the work that she put in. Hmm. Well, enough about her, though. We felt that it was pertinent to close this episode by talking about the victims. So we're going to refer and quote the eulogy that was given at the family funeral. The eulogy quotes that we are using come from the one given by family friend Diane Robb. Deborah Richardson had an abundance of all that she believed in, and what she believed in was love, love, and more love. She cared for her family, especially her children, in a balanced way. She nurtured them emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally. She was an angel here on earth. When Deborah hugged you, you knew her God was shining through. Mark Richardson was a dedicated provider and a devout father who enjoyed career success, but always made time for his family. Mark possessed a whole lot of integrity. He was an honest man, sincere, tolerant, humble, generous, kind, and soft with words, believed in harmony, and the most important thing was his family. Tyler was a beautiful, young soul, full of energy and a heart of gold, who had learned from his parents to give the biggest, warmest hugs. Tyler was full of zest, a boy's boy, always active. Our hearts and thoughts go out to the family and friends of these people. 
it honestly doesn't matter how much time goes by. I don't think you ever fully recover from knowing an entire family was snuffed out like this. Yeah, definitely. Three lives were ended way too early in this case and seemingly because of teenage angst and rules and regulations. Heartbreaking, sad, and so terrible. Do you have any thoughts uh, to end the episode with, Julie? What do you think about this one? How did it make you feel? I think, honestly, I mean, they're all sad, but this one, to me, it just hits me a little bit more because it sounds like her parents and her family were good. They were good people, you know? So I feel like when you're kind of going through that teenage phase and everything's wrong and I hate the world, what happened to her is she found someone who that was his life. Like he had a very bad past. So that was his life. So that little part of her that just wanted to rebel, it turned out to be her entire world because he kind of like fed that to her. He fed into the fact that, you know, yeah, life sucks and your parents suck, whatever. You know, so I just feel like it's really sad because she was so young and was just influenced by this person who she thought was really cool. And, you know, it just, it's sad. It was, they were a good family. Yeah. And I mean, like, you can kind of see, you know, obviously this isn't the kind of stuff that's written verbatim in the newspaper, but you can kind of see what happened here, right? I mean, you have a 12 year old girl growing up in a family, she's about to become a teenager. She discovers this goth culture, and it's very clear that mom, at least, was very much a Christian, you know, the way people talked about her. So there's obviously some major culture clash there. And like I can tell you, too, I was that person, you know, when I was getting involved in the subculture and wearing goth clothes and doing all that stuff. My mom, she thought I was a witch, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, nowadays I like to think that there's a little bit more understanding of, you know, what goth culture means Um, but like we're talking a long time ago we're talking around the same time that I was a kid and people just thought like oh goth like you worship the devil or you're a witch or Mm -hmm. you're doing witchcraft so there's you can see where the clash is and you can imagine you can almost put yourself into that house and see like the fights that probably happened especially when Jeremy came into the equation yeah you know like no 12 year old daughter of mine is going to be dating a 23 year old either yeah but you know it's interesting to think to think about all of that because you think about he had so much influence on her that she not only did she talk about hating her parents and killing them like she actually took part in these events and that takes a lot of influencing yeah and i mean at the very least she was there and she admitted that she stabbed her brother and she didn't i mean and i don't know if she had remorse or not but she didn't stop or call the police afterwards you know and it sounds like at least from what we know that she wasn't afraid of Mm. what she did you know she wanted to just run away and go live this fairy tale with this guy yeah she had it in her head 100 percent. you're right like she had it in her head that if i can just get rid of my family i can go on living my life the way i wanted to like i don't even think maybe she understood like that they were gonna get caught and like there's a lot of stuff on there about how she said to him in those same letters that they sent back and forth in the jail that oh we should have run away like we should have went for like they, they went 70 kilometers like yeah that's not very far to run away if you're trying to run away no and that again proves how young that she was but also how immature and like maybe not 
informed yep. he was. 100%. Or you know? if he was informed, he was just ignorant to it. Yeah. He so, thought that he could beat the system. Yeah. Right? So, you know, um, I I mean, I think for me, this one is a very interesting case because I would like to hear from her <sighs> and see, like, yeah. what, what was going on, you know, which we might not ever because she has a secret identity and all that. But it would be very interesting to hear her side of the story um, looking back, you know, right. how she felt or what she thought or what was going through her mind. Like, that would yeah. be really interesting. Well, and that's why we're all here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, pretty much anyone that loves true crime wants the psychology. Like, I don't think I've shared on the episode. My dad used to work at the school Paul Bernardo went to. They had to take down the graduating class picture because mm -hmm. all of those people, the media were reaching out to them. People were reaching out. They wanted to know what Paul Bernardo was like yeah. when he was younger. Yeah. You know, so we always, you're right. You know, the, like, oh, give me a break. Like, if you could sit down and talk to this girl, even off the record, and just, you know, maybe you got to feel for well you never know if someone's telling the truth yeah. but still the psychology of that like it's very interesting yeah so i mean i don't want to go too much into her because like our episodes are very much mm -hmm. about like the families who are now the victims mm -hmm. right like the families lost uncle aunt, mm -hmm. like you know niece nephew whatever you want to call it you know they lost people in their lives so um you know like i said our hearts go out to those people and um you know just make sure you communicate with your children and even if they're not receptive like just always try to be involved in their life in a non overbearing way you know and i'm not saying that their parents weren't but i just think maybe if you had that line of communication open all the time then maybe it would be different for maybe you know future people yep i, I agree so this case i'd say like kind of wound up in my books the way that i'd like to see it you know the older person that should be responsible fully is and is in jail for you know 25 years and the person who jasmine i hope to goodness that like you're rehabilitated and you know like you're never going to not live with those things obviously but you know i do hope that she's taking this second chance at life and running with it so i think that's where we'll wrap up this one for another week at gbnf as always thank you for listening and please reach out let us know what you thought of this episode or any episode you're listening to so take care and until next time, be a good person. And don't be an asshat. <laughs>